Coming up, it is episode 27 of the Put It On The Board podcast, and the stove is heating up. The White Sox offseason is underway. The Sox trading relief pitcher Aaron Bummer to the Atlanta Braves uh, earlier this week in a package for five players in return. Then the Sox sign their starting shortstop for the the 2024 season in Paul DeYoung and Dylan Cease trade rumors are alive and well. There's a lot to react to. Noah and I do not see eye to eye on some of these trades and some of these moves. So a lot to break down and discuss as we get into our very first off-season transaction podcast here. It's time to put some crooked numbers up on that board. This is episode 27 of the Put It On The Board podcast. Today is Tuesday, November 21st, when we are recording, Noah. And uh, over the last week since you and I last sat down to record, new White Sox general manager Chris Getz has been a busy, busy boy, uh, bringing in quite a few new faces. Uh, And so we have a lot to talk about here between you and me, between the Aaron Bummer trade with the Atlanta Braves the signing of Paul DeYoung that came earlier this afternoon, uh, and then uh, the rumors about Dylan Cease being traded. But no, I want to start with what I feel like is the most marquee of the bunch, and possibly the thing you and I disagree the most about uh, of what we've sort of seen so far, which is this Aaron Bummer trade. Uh, The White Sox sent Aaron Bummer to the Atlanta Braves last week, in a deal for five players, they get right-handed pitcher Mike Soroka, left-handed pitcher Jared Schuster, infielder Nicky Lopez, infielder Braden Shoemake, and pitcher Riley Gowans, a minor league pitcher, back uh, in the deal. A five-for-one, an unexpected five-for-one, uh, and a big shakeup. Chris Getz means business, and no, I was surprised to learn you weren't a big fan of this deal. I wouldn't say I was not a big fan of the trade. I mean, the concept of trading Aaron Bummer is fine. I don't really think he belongs on the team. Uh, not only was he not very good last year, but I just don't think he really fits into what the White Sox need for this 2024 season that's going to be uh, interesting. So trading Aaron Bummer's fine. Yeah, I think and, well, I th- real quick Chris Getz put it best I think when he said the White Sox are not a left-handed reliever away from winning a World Series and they're right. not a left-handed reliever right. away from being where they want to be. So if you can move that guy uh and White Sox fans are are obviously banking on like, oh, well look at his ERA and yes, he was very bad with a very high ERA even though the metrics do love him. But regardless of which pitcher he is, if he's Aaron Bummer that the metrics say he is or Aaron Bummer that his ERA says he is. Uh, I think, you know, it, it made sense for them to move him. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would have been surprised, honestly, had Aaron Bummer been on the opening day roster. I, I think he was one of the guys that you kind of came into the off say, season saying like, yeah, if you can move this guy, you move him. So I'm not surprised or upset that he was moved. I think ultimately what it comes down to for me is, I don't really think any of the players they got back are anything. Um, 
and I, I could be proven wrong, but I, I'm sure we'll go in depth about each of the players a little bit later. But I just, yeah, I, mean, I kind of see Aaron Bummer traded for a bunch of just random guys that you fill out your roster with that aren't even necessarily useful pieces. So it it's How not that I didn't that? like the trade. I just think it's it's kind of eh. Like it's it just doesn't really do much for me either way, you know. I I just I'm confused how you can say that because I I mean I think the White Sox got a couple at least two very very intriguing pieces in this deal, and, and so I think you can poke holes in, you know, potentially some of them. It's not like they went to being a contender with this trade, but I think this trade makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, no, we sat here. And we talked about what do the White Sox need to bring in? And one of the things we talked about was starting pitching. And one of the things we especially talked about was starting pitchers in a position to reestablish their value and get bounce back potential. And what better guy than a guy in Mike Soroka who has proven to have Cy Young caliber stuff, all-star caliber stuff that is still very young that is now healthy and going to be healthy by opening day, that's into a contract year, as motivated as he's ever been probably in his career, giving him a fresh start, that felt like a great, great pickup for the White Sox where if they would have signed Mike Soroka to a deal, I would have been pumping my fist celebrating. On top of him, you add Jared Schuster, and I am, I quite honestly, no, I'm shocked that White Sox fans are not more excited about the addition of Jared Schuster. It feels like Mike Soroka has been the headline in this deal. Jared Schuster is the best piece they got back. I think he's the most intriguing piece they got back. Um, I think even if he's a number four starter, you absolutely fleeced Atlanta on this trade because you got rid of Aaron Bummer, who, like we've all mentioned, is not somebody that you had in your long-term plans. Jared Schuster heading into 2022 or sorry, into 2023 was the number one prospect in the Atlanta Braves farm system. The number one prospect and a former first round pick of the Atlanta Braves. He had some control issues this year from AAA to the major leagues, but also had some very good starts at the big league level, got a ton of experience in the majors, is a lefty is still 25 years old with five plus years of team control. Like I'm fired up about this. I don't know why you and so many other Sox fans are, are seemingly downplaying what an addition Jared Schuster could be for this team. Well, we can talk about Soroka and Schuster. Um, Soroka is the kind of player that I was calling for them to sign. And that is why he is my favorite part of this trade uh, because I mean, we've talked about this a couple times before. They need guys that can throw the ball, major league talent arms that can pitch this year. And that's what Mike Soroka is, assuming he stays healthy. Now, that's a pretty big assumption because the last fully healthy season that he had was 2019. So it's been a while since he's been able to put together even close to a fully healthy season. But if he does, it's a good pickup. It's a one-year deal, so long-term. It's not really going to matter because he's a free agent at the end of the yeah, year. Maybe sure. maybe the White Sox extend him. Maybe they turn around and re-sign him in free agency if he's good. That's a possibility for sure. But we have to take it for what it is right now, which is a one-year contract on a potential bounce-back starting pitcher and a guy that the Atlanta Braves were going to non-tender on Friday if he 
if they couldn't find a trade for him. So, I mean, it's a fine, it's a fine acquisition for the White Sox. I don't have a problem with that. Moving on to Jared Schuster. I think Jared Schuster for me is going to determine if this was a good trade or just a nothing for nothing trade because Jared Schuster is the prized acquisition you could say of this trade like you said I mean this is a guy that was the former number one prospect for the Braves this is the big prospect that they're acquiring in this deal but I have a lot of concerns about Jared Schuster and it's not just the fact that he overall wasn't great in the majors last year he had an ERA of 5.8 something last year but there's some other numbers from him that are pretty alarming um, in his minor league career, he was striking out anywhere from 11 to 14 hitters per nine innings. And last year, it was basically cut in half. His strikeout rate dropped off a cliff. And you look at the the pitch mix that the guy has, and he doesn't really have any pitches that stand out. He's got a fastball that touches 91 on a good day. He's got a changeup and he's got a slider that are both graded as slightly below average pitches. So you don't look at this guy and really say like, but okay, but know, let's there's potential fair. for a big well, breakout here. Hang on, let's be fair because I've seen the numbers that you've yanked, and you know they're off of an article from Sox on Thirty Fifth that you saw, which is off of a sample size of fifty innings in the major leagues. They're not a sample size of Jared Schuster as a pitcher. Jared Schuster in his three or five hundred and fifty minor league innings, in which he you know posted a, a four ERA. It, it's not. Jared Schuster, that was a number one prospect. It, it is a small sample size of his worst part of his career in the major leagues. I don't think that's a fair statistic to use of why he can't be a, well, like a very good starting pitcher at the big league level. I, my I think- counterpoint would be that metric, the stuff plus metric, it doesn't really measure how good a guy was. It purely looks at his pitches and how they move and how they track when it makes that measurement. So you could have a guy that has really, really bad numbers, but he's got really good stuff plus because he's got a fastball that has life on it. He's got a sharp breaking slider. Jared Schuster doesn't have that. He doesn't have any pitches that track above average pitches. He didn't in the 50 innings in the major leagues, which is my point. Like, yes, his stuff might not have jumped, in the small sample size, he was probably had something going on last year. I mean, you just look at the numbers and you see, well, this, this guy that he was both at Gwinnett and Atlanta last season was not the same pitcher that you saw a year before at Gwinnett. uh, And when he was pitching in the minor leagues for the Braves. So yeah, something was disconnected last season, but I, I don't know if I fully buy into 52 innings and, for the fans out there that have said, oh, well, Atlanta didn't want him, so that tells you all you need to know. I don't think that's the case. The Braves are just in a very unique spot where they won 110 or whatever games and uh, lost in the first round of the playoffs. And there is very little patience within the Braves organization when you have as many great players as they do for as cheap as they do with some of the extensions they've signed. There is a win now, go all in mentality, no time to wait around. And so somebody like Jared Schuster comes up, struggles a little bit, doesn't look like quite the same pitcher. Every other organization in the sport might be in a position to say, all right, you're in our rotation next year. We're going to figure this out. We still believe in you. The Braves are in a position where they're going to be in on 
Sonny Gray and they have AJ Smith Shaver and they have all of these young pitching pieces. They have to be very good and very good. Now they cannot gamble on Jared Schuster. So I don't know if it's as simple and, and cut and dry as well, Atlanta didn't want him. I think the same thing goes for Mike Soroka. Like you said, yeah, he was going to be non-tendered. He was going to be non-tendered because of the injuries and because they weren't going to pay him what they would have had to pay him. Uh, They'd rather use that money on a more established starting pitcher. They know for a fact can help them right now, but for a team in the white Sox position, this is nothing but a win. And Jared Schuster doesn't need to be a number one or a number two or a number whatever for this to be a good trade. If you can, by the way, get a left-handed starting pitcher in your rotation that sits in the middle of your rotation, eats some innings and is a solid piece for you for the next five years. I mean, jackpot, lottery, Chris gets what a what a move. Yeah, and that's why my thoughts on this trade are a little bit underwhelmed, but that could easily change, and I hope it does. Um, and that's why I said that this entire trade, I think, is dependent on what Jared Schuster becomes, because he really is the the guy with the potential and the control and he's the one that can make this a good deal. So I hope he does. And I hope, I hope at the end of this season, we're looking at a guy who had a solid year as a starting pitcher. And I'm like eating my words. So I just, on the surface, I think there's reason for concern. I think that the reaction, the general reaction from White Sox fans was a little bit blown out of proportion, calling it an absolute haul and all this stuff. I, I think the expectations need to be tempered. Um, I, but I think it's relevant when you say like what we just said that you traded Aaron Bummer, and, and so like this was my issue with you last week, Noah. You were poo pooing the trade and and you know poking every hole you could find in this thing and finding ways to be unhappy about what they did. You used the words earlier. This is either a good trade or a nothing for nothing trade, and if that is the case for a front office and for a team. You have to be jumping for joy at, hell yeah, we either basically made a neutral move or we just made a really good move. Uh, There's nothing to necessarily be down about with this deal, which is why I'm so high on it, is worst case scenario, you got a couple pieces to put on your roster this year. Best case scenario, you got some pieces moving forward and I mean, we get into some of the other, the two other names or three other names that are involved here, but like you got five pieces. If one of them works out in any capacity, you have to feel like the White Sox got really good value in this deal. And that is good odds to me. I mean, odds don't necessarily mean anything. You could take five little leaguers and say, I like my chances. There's five guys out here. One of them is going to be good and they could all suck. So just because, just because it's five players I'm saying doesn't mean anything. Um, But you're right. I mean, there's not going to be a way to know how this works out until we see what happens. So there's no reason for me to sit here and say, Oh, White Sox lost the trade before the seasons even happened because maybe Mike Soroka regains his 2019 form and then the White Sox re-sign him. Maybe Jared Schuster ends up as the next Mark Burke. By the way, what if Mike Soroka regains his 2019 form or even just has a Mike Clevenger type season and is then a piece the White Sox can deal at the deadline if they're not winning baseball games to get prospects? And now you've gotten prospects for Aaron Bummer alongside, you know, all these other names. So 
there are three other names uh, that were in this trade. Number one, White Sox fans know it because they've heard it on White Sox broadcasts for three years now, over and over and over again. Nicky Lopez, he's from Naperville, folks. Uh, went to Creighton, went to the Kansas City Royals, uh, was traded to Atlanta last year at the deadline. And Nick, Nicky Lopez is what he is, right? I mean, he he very fast, runs the bases very well, plays very good defense as a utility infielder. The bat is pretty much a non-factor. Uh, you don't really expect to get anything from him offensively. He'll be on your major league team. I think he does a lot of the things the White Sox want to do, which is encouraging to me that a team that has not played fundamentally sound baseball, uh, has not had any leadership, has not played good defense, now gets a guy who is known as a very good leader that runs well, that plays good defense, a local product, uh, all good things. This is a guy you, of course, temper your expectations for and you hope is their utility guy, not their starting second baseman. Yeah, and that's the key. I think you saw it with the Braves last year. There's a place for a guy like a guy like Nicky Lopez on winning baseball teams. I mean, every team needs a an infielder who you can throw in late in the game. He can play pretty much anywhere on the infield and you can be sure that if the ball is hit to him, he's going to make the play. So it's a good piece to have. Um, It's not a good piece to have when you are relying on him to be a starter. And fortunately they've now acquired one infielder. So um, he's not necessarily the only veteran guy they have, but you're still looking at the depth chart saying, as of right now, he's probably your starting second baseman. And we'll see if that lasts for the entire offseason or not. Uh, I believe Chris Getz was asked about it afterwards uh, in his press conference after the trade. He was asked about the role for some of the guys they acquired. So uh, about Soroka and Schuster, he said that he expects them to compete for starting rotation spots um, and that he believes one or both of them will be in the rotation um, but again, he said they're going to be competing for it. About Nicky Lopez, he was asked what his role is, and he said it's too early to tell. Um, it is still November, so who knows what the rest of the offseason entails. And then about Braden Shoemake, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, he said he is infield depth. So Getz wasn't willing to commit either way to whether or not Nicky Lopez is going to be a starter on this team. Uh, I hope he's not, but Either way, I mean it's it's a fine it's a fine acquisition. I think it's very ironic that we've been, you know, talking about the the whole talk of White Sox Twitter has been how many former Royals are they going to acquire and in the first trade of the offseason they bring in a former Royal. So, yeah, I mean this uh... wasn't <laughs> yeah, this one wasn't a huge surprise. I mean like Nicky Lopez on the Sox kind of has made sense. Uh and so I yeah, I wasn't, you know, blown away by it uh yeah the middle infield thing and we'll talk Paul DeYoung we'll talk Brayden Shoemake here in a second I like what they're doing and to some degree because Chris Getz has prioritized defense and has said it and actually done it here with their moves which is very encouraging uh but there is a sense that when you look at who the White Sox currently have it's like yeah they have a lot of depth they've got now Paul DeYoung and Nicky Lopez and Romy Gonzalez and Lenny Sosa and uh, yada, 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 yada. Um, and they don't really have any good offensive output middle infielders. Uh, and so I do think they need to go offensive at second base right now and try and say, Hey, 
We've got Paul DeYoung. We've got Braden Shoemake, who's known as one of the best defensive prospects uh, in the middle infield and in the major leagues. We've got Lopez, DeYoung, Shoemake, and yeah, let's go get a little pop at second base and see if we can add something to our lineup. So I've already mentioned him a few times. Braden Shoemake, another name in this trade. Atlanta's first round pick in 2019 out of Texas A&M. Hasn't done a ton in the minor leagues uh, of much success. Really had his best minor league season this past season in a lot of ways. Uh, Played in 122 games at AAA and uh, had 16 home runs with 69 RBIs and 27 stolen bases and OPS just over 700. The bat doesn't probably will not play at the major league level. There hasn't been a ton of development offensively. Uh, He does hit left-handed, which you like, and he is great up the middle defensively at shortstop 26 years old and got, I believe it was four at bats. Yes. Four at bats for the Braves last season at the big league level. So he's ready. He's one of these four, a, middle infielders uh this is a name that is fairly irrelevant to me like that just doesn't do a ton for me i think gets got it right i mean this is middle infield depth uh probably a better option than some of the middle infield quote-unquote depth you have in your organization or at least more major league ready and uh a piece that i'm sure will start with the charlotte knights yeah i mean Honestly, if you look at Braden Shoemake, like maybe the bat comes around and the 16 home runs maybe is a little bit encouraging, but you do have to keep in mind that AAA is notoriously a a very friendly place to hit. So uh, I don't put a whole lot of stock in it. And for the most part over his minor league career, he's been a defense first player. Um, There's no reason for me to believe that that will change. And again, this is a former first round pick that the Braves were willing to trade for a reliever that had a seven ERA last year. So, I mean, if they valued him super highly, he would still be on their team. I, I think that is more so the case than maybe with Schuster or Soroka. Well, but... another another situation, though, of like, where was Braden Shoemake going to play for them? I mean, they they kind of have between Arcia and Grissom at shortstop and Albies at second base. There's not really a huge like opening for a guy to come in and carve out a role in the middle infield. Uh, And so he did seem sort of expendable to their organization with where they're at and just where he is at 26 years old right now. Um, This last piece, I think is another one, Noah, maybe undervalued, maybe under discussed right now as just being like, yes, it's a wild card. It's an absolute lottery ticket, but it might be a decent one. And that's Riley Gowans, a 24-year-old uh, pitcher, 6'4", 225, a right-handed pitcher from Libertyville, Illinois. He went to the University of Illinois and was drafted this past draft, this past summer, by the Braves in the ninth round. Now, uh, in my research about Riley Gowans coming out of the draft, his college numbers at Illinois were not stellar, not something you'd write home about, but Jim Callis deemed him a quote, data darling coming out of Illinois with a big time fastball working out of the stretch, a curveball that grades out really well. And when he works out of the stretch a lot, uh, he's likely to be a reliever at the next level, but the stuff probably plays. And despite the bad ERA with Illinois, the strikeout to walk was excellent, had 75 strikeouts and 60 innings of work with just 16 walks. He gets with the Braves organization 
15 and two thirds in the minor leagues last year uh, with an ERA of 1.15. He gave up just two runs, struck out 22 batters in 15 and two thirds. Early pro returns on this guy, very good. Like I said, a lottery ticket, 24 years old and potentially a guy to start at high A or double A this year. But Riley Goins, potentially a quick riser. Um, I don't rule this out of being a potential guy to to fly through their system here. Yeah, I'm going to need to see more. I mean, being 23, 24 years old and playing in a ball, you're playing guys that are younger than you. And so it's not uncommon for a pitcher to be older than everyone and dominate and then gets up to the higher levels of the minor leagues and the stuff just doesn't play as well. So I do want to see what happens this year. Um, Hopefully they can get him moved up towards double A, triple A this year, but intriguing stuff. And as we know, relievers can kind of come out of nowhere. I mean, Aaron Bummer was a late round pick, Matt Foster, Cody Hoyer. The Sox have had some success from some bullpen guys that they've drafted later in the draft maybe college seniors like Gowans was who they just kind of take a flyer on because they know he's got the stuff. So potential future bullpen arm. I mean, if he ends up as a solid reliever, you got to look at that as a win, but he's got a long way to go to prove that. I think he needs to try and do it at a competition that's closer to his age level before we can uh, start really keeping an eye on this guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess a a feather in Riley Gowan's cap would be for all of the, well, the Braves didn't want this guy. The Braves didn't want that guy. The Braves did want this guy. They went out and drafted him in the ninth round, despite, you know, the, the elevated ERA at Illinois, they saw something in his stuff uh, and in his metrics that made him an intriguing piece for them. uh, And he had some early success in their organization. So, you know, but, can't hurt as a flyer. And like you said, he's another guy where if he comes up and even if all four of these other dudes somehow bust and Riley Gowans comes up and is a, an adequate reliever for the Sox for multiple seasons. I mean, you kind of won this trade and that, that I think Noah at the end of the day is why I'm so, so high on this from Chris Getz. I think it's a really, really fascinating strategy for a GM making his first real move of consequence to do a five for one to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk and some of the changes that need to be made to this organization. And it is a zero risk, very, very high reward for the White Sox, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it could end up being really good. And like I said, only time is going to tell. We need to see these guys get in here and prove that they're going to bounce back or prove that they are, are worthy of the organization after being given up on essentially by another organization. So we'll see how that goes. There should be plenty of opportunities, especially for guys like Soroka and Schuster uh, and Lopez. You would think that there is a much easier path to innings slash at bats than there is uh, with Atlanta. So they're definitely going to get an opportunity to show what they have. And, Especially with the pitchers, it's going to be interesting this year. The White Sox bringing in Brian Bannister, of course, kind of remaking their player development on the pitching side uh, with Bannister, uh, bringing in Matt Wise from the Angels to help out Ethan Katz. So some new faces, some new coaches on the pitching side for the White Sox. Um, And we will see how 
what they do with these guys. We'll see how Bannister gets his hands on Schuster and, and tries to turn him around and what they can do with Soroka to try and get him back to his old form. For sure. Um, so, I mean, we talked about it briefly with the Nicky Lopez uh, and the Braden Shoemake situation. A lot of questions about this White Sox starting rotation, what that's going to look like, but uh, a ton of questions as well about what this middle infield is going to look like. Because with the Sox declining the option of Tim Anderson, they didn't have a starting shortstop nor a starting second baseman. And you've got pieces like Romy Gonzalez and Zach Remillard and Lenin Sosa and Jose Rodriguez that are in this in-between triple-A to 4A to major league range, and none of them really excite you about what you have. You bring in Nicky Lopez, and then the Sox do go and get, who I think is their starting shortstop in 2024, Noah, uh, with the report coming out earlier today that the Sox have agreed to a one-year deal with former all-star shortstop of the St. Louis Cardinals, Paul DeYoung. DeYoung was a Cardinal last year that was uh, traded to the Toronto Blue Jays. And I got to say, by the way, for all of the... I, we'll get into this, but Paul DeYoung's numbers last year are ugly when you look at them broadly. When he was traded by the Cardinals at the trade deadline, his OPS and OPS plus were right around league average. He had 13 home runs at the trade deadline. I mean, he just fell off a cliff. He went three for 44 when he arrived with the Toronto blue Jays uh, and, you know, didn't do much better with the San Francisco giants was a total of 12 for 93 uh, with two doubles and one home run with teams, not named the St. Louis Cardinals. So uh, this is a guy who has made an all-star team before that was back in 2019 He had 30 home runs that year. I think at the very least, he provides the Sox with more pop than Tim Anderson had last year and better defense. He is a a very good graded defender uh, up the middle. One year deal. Your thoughts on the the Paul DeYoung signing here? I've got no problem with it. I mean, you're looking at a guy and we, we knew this is what they were going to do. I mean, we're looking at Colson Montgomery down there in, in the minor leagues, and he's close, uh, and he's not going to be ready for opening day. And Chris Getz kind of made that clear at the press conference. They asked him if he had given any thought to Colson potentially breaking camp with the team, and he said no. So um, Chris Getz has been honest so far, and I appreciate that. But we were looking at probably a one-year stopgap veteran, uh, and going along with what Getz has been preaching so far, someone who can play defense, that's what he's looking for. And that's what they got with Paul DeYoung. He's, even the years when he has struggled offensively, the defensive metrics has always looked good. Um, he's moved over to second base a little bit, and he was kind of average at second base. But at shortstop, he's always looked good defensively. Uh, and this is a guy that probably has more power upside than some of the other defense first shortstops. Um, You know, talking about guys like Nick Ahmed, Elvis Andrus, guys like that who are defense shortstops with very limited offensive upside. Um, It's been a while since DeYoung has been good offensively, but he's shown in the past at least that you know, he's good for 10 to 15 home runs, probably. So, well, I, I mean, I expect in a full season, he's 15 because I mean, just by year in 2017 was his rookie year. He hit 25, then hit 19 for the Cardinals, then hit 30 in that 2019 season, hit just three home runs in the COVID year uh, in 2020, back up to 19 in 2021. 
2022, he only played in 77 games and dealt with some injuries, not a full year, had six homers, and then 14 last year in 112 games. I think if he plays 120 games for you at shortstop, you can expect 15-plus home runs with very good defense. Is it going to be amazing? Absolutely not. But if you are just looking at the White Sox of, hey, are you improved from 2023? And you look at what Tim Anderson was for this White Sox team in 2023, both defensively and offensively. Paul DeYoung is going to be a huge upgrade. Uh, This is the world that we have to live in as White Sox fans. Um, But I do think, like you said, it's kind of unique to get a defensive-minded player, a defense-first player that you think is a plus defender at a premium position that you're like, Okay, the the bat is not a complete black hole all the time. I, I mean, it's no no Angelton Simmons, it's no Jose Iglesias here. You are dealing with a guy that can hit one out of the ballpark and provide some runs for you. Yeah, it it should be a pretty solid addition. And you know, even if DeYoung kind of puts up similar numbers to last year overall, like you said, it's still pretty significant upgrade to the production that Tim Anderson gave you last year. So. I've got no problem with this. And you know what? Worst case scenario, DeYoung is terrible in July. You cut him and Colson's ready and you bring him up. Or that is the thing play... with Paul DeYoung. I mean, regardless of where he is, he's a guy at his age with his track record. Like there should be absolutely nothing stopping you from asking him to grab some bench or asking him to grab some designated hitter reps <laughs> or Whatever it is, like if Colson's ready, the spot is his. Uh, And so you're kind of just looking for a also a leader. I I mean, like Paul DeYoung, another guy known as a a great, great leader in that Cardinals clubhouse who is very good defensively, who can teach Colson Montgomery in spring training and rub off on him a little bit of like, hey, here's how big leaguers do it. Here's how I, I play balls off the bat to be such a good defender at the big league level. Those are all good things. It's a lot better than him being, I don't like mentored by Tim Anderson. I I don't know if that was something that you want your shortstop prospect doing. Yeah. One other note about the young, um, he's from the Chicago area, just like some other guys that they have acquired. He went to high school in Antioch and he attended Illinois state university. So heck man, why not? If we're going to not be very good and we're just kind of going to play like with a ragtag bunch of guys and, like hope stuff sticks. Why not just assemble the all Illinois squad? Someone call Charlie Tilson. What's he doing? Yeah. Hey, I was looking at some of the free agents and seeing where they're from. Uh, Northwest Indiana native Sean Manaya could be a fit for the White Sox. So keep an eye out for that one. If they're on a, on a streak here of uh, bringing in some local guys. So, Hey, look, I've got no problem with the DeYoung signing. Um, I think at the very least, you're getting another solid defender up the middle, which is what Chris Getz has been talking about so far uh, in his brief tenure. I'm going to start to be a little bit concerned about the offense, but as long as Eloy Jimenez is still on the team, you can convince me that they'll have enough power. But if you start to move him, then I might start to raise I mean, questions about like, a... hey, you know, who's going to hit home <laughs> runs for this team? So... Or who's just going to hit in general? I mean, right. like, <laughs> look, I, the Eloy trades are possible, very possible. Rumors that have also been swirling that like the market is there for him. Well, um, Chris Getz straight up said there are teams interested. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I had to do a double take when I saw that quote. 
because Rick Hahn would have never said anything like that. I mean, it but has yeah. been talk about refreshing, man. Chris Getz is not exactly hiding away from reality. I, I will say Bob Nightingale did appear on the White Sox Talk podcast with Chuck Garfine and said he did not feel like Eloy would net much in return. I don't know about you, Noah. If you're not going to get much for Eloy Jimenez in a trade, make him your designated hitter yep. and hope he hits 40 home runs. And no, like- 100%, 100%. He's got, I, I know we've been saying this for years, but he's got the kind of offensive upside that is intriguing. And if you're not going to get much for him because maybe he's limited he, defensively. He could have what, an attitude like- problem and not want to work hard. And I think Eloy with an attitude problem is still like head and yeah. shoulders better offensively than your next best DH option, who is Gavin Sheets right now. And the Sox have three years of control left on Jimenez. So it's not like, you know, this guy's a one-year deal. We better trade him now. I I understand shopping him. I understand looking for a trade. But if the value is not there... I think they should keep him. I have no problem plugging him in at DH because this lineup is going to need some extra thump, especially if what yep. Getz says is true. And the rest of the offseason theme is we're going to get as, as good defensively as we can. There's going to have to be somebody that can hit the ball out of the ballpark or hit a gapper and drive in runs every once in a while. So I'm in no urgency to get rid of him in as personally. I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I I don't think you're able to get rid of Yoan Moncada. He's somebody who I would get rid of if you could, but I think reality says you can't. Obviously, nobody wants to get rid of Luis Robert. I don't have a problem with Moncada, Roberts, and Jimenez being on this team in 2024. Uh, I, you know, I, I think there has been enough turnover from guys like Anderson and Grandal and the starting pitching and Elvis Andrews and all of those middle infielders like you have enough turnover here to bring in leaders like Nicky Lopez, Paul DeYoung, bring them in with an Andrew Benintendi, bring them in with Luis Robert. And, you know, I don't know what they're going to do at catcher. I don't know what they're going to do in right field. I don't know if there's still a second baseman for them to go get. Um, I think they need a lot of help. But, yeah, you need offense somewhere and I, I just I don't know if there's a realistic acquisition for the Sox that would give me more faith in their offense than having Eloy Jimenez on this team right now but Noah the other trade rumor here that is cycling and not going to go away and frankly is looking like it's likely to happen is Dylan Cease getting moved and, and I mentioned Bob Nightingale on the White Sox talk podcast with Chuck Garfine and he gave it a very, very high percentage. I don't, I think it was like 90% that he, yes, he gave it a 90% that he thought Dylan Cease was going to get moved. I have been surprised, I guess, at the seemingly building momentum towards a Dylan Cease trade. And from my understanding, it, it simply comes from the market being so demanding of pitching. I mean, there's so much demand for pitching out there. Cease is absolutely one of those top handful of guys. If he was a free agent and he does not come with the big price tag that an Aaron Nola or Blake Snell or any of these uh, top free agent pitchers are going to come with. So if you're a team like the Baltimore Orioles, if you're a team like the Cincinnati Reds that need to add starting pitching, but maybe don't want to play in the uh, big boy pool, Dylan Cease via trade seems like a very good option. Does this surprise you as much as it surprises me to see 
that this is looking more and more like it's going to happen? No, I don't, I don't think I'm surprised. I mean, it really makes sense. Um, this is kind of what Bob Nightingale said today on the podcast. He said, Chris gets as much as he says, like we'd like to compete in 2024. He's reasonable enough to see that the likelihood of that happening is probably not very high. And if that's the case, they need to equip themselves as best as they can for the future. So if you keep Dylan Cease, he's got two years left to control. Let's say you're competitive in 2025. Now you're looking at a walk year for Dylan Cease. So it probably makes sense for them to go ahead and capitalize, especially if you've got a trade on the table involving one or two starting pitching prospects who are like right there at the cusp of the majors. Um, I don't know if you want to talk specifically about potential teams and players that fit, but I mean, I guess we can do a general idea of, um, I mean, what teams I mentioned a couple of them, Baltimore, Baltimore, Cincinnati, the Dodgers feel like the three, right? Like the big three that uh, at least make the most sense on paper. And I, I, I don't know if we want to get into the semantics of like specific players, like you said, but I mean, how would trading Dylan Cease for a handful of prospects, even if they are major league ready, how does that change what you view this offseason as for the White Sox? Because I, I think to this point, every move Getz has made has been in lockstep with what I kind of expected out of the Sox, which is a team that is going to try their best to contend in 2024 but is absolutely doing their best to shift culture and habits in 2024. So you bring in better defensive guys. You try and bring in players that want to play here that might have some long-term value. I just, if you're trading away Dylan Cease and all of your big acquisitions that you have are guys that are going to come in on one-year deals, I guess it just kind of leaves me a little bit lost because if the goal is right, like, Hey, let's maybe turn this thing around and win in 2025. I mean, Dylan Cease is a guy I want on that team. Uh, Like, I I don't know if how much it makes sense in my brain right now. Yeah, I I get that concern. Um, I think as far as 2024 goes, it doesn't necessarily change your strategy too much. Um, Looking at the rotation like it is right now, I mean, we're already sitting here saying they probably need one or two veteran starters in free agency. If you take Dylan Cease out, you're still looking at one or two veteran starters in free agency, along with Soroka, Schuster, assuming they get a pitching prospect that's close back for Dylan Cease, Nick Nastrini. You've got those guys kind of competing for the back end rotation spots, along with, you know, Maybe they bring in a Jack Flaherty and a another starting pitcher who's a veteran that's just kind of an innings eater. So I don't think it changes the 2024 outlook much, but I do I do get what you're saying about 2025. Like if the team is truly, and I actually, I was talking about this earlier. I think I sent a tweet about it. If the team is looking at it saying 2025, we want to win the AL Central. They need to start putting those pieces in place now, I think. I mean- yeah, And there's there's more involved than just we're going to acquire a bunch of prospects that are on the cusp of the majors, and by the beginning of next year, they're going to be good enough to lead us to the division. Like, they need to be looking at free agents that they could sign to three- or four-year deals that kind of fit into their timeline. 
And I'm wondering if that is part of Chris Getz's plan for the offseason or not. I mean, maybe I don't think they're going in on like Yamamoto or any of the big free agents like that, but maybe Chris Getz sees a, a pitcher that he likes on a three-year deal and he pulls the trigger. So I don't, I, I'm interested to see what the plan is, but I think that if they're truly looking at 2025 as like, this is it, we're contending in 2025, they need to start doing so, that kind of stuff now. All right, well then let me ask you that question then. Let me simplify it. If the Sox are looking at 2025 as the year to win the division, does it make sense for them to trade Dylan Cease? Probably. I, I I don't think it makes much sense to keep Dylan Cease for one year of contention and then lose him for nothing. I mean, maybe they can re-sign him, but he is a Scott Boris client. So you're taking that risk because if you re-sign him, it's going to be in the open market. You're not going to get an extension done with him ahead of time. So does it make like does trading away a potential ace a year before you want to contend make a lot of sense? Maybe on the surface, no. But if you look a little bit deeper, like, I don't know, let's say they win the division in 2025 and then they lose in the first round. Now Cease is gone. So now what do you do? You know, whereas you could trade Cease and get a couple of guys that by 2025, 2026 are starting to become impact players and you have them for five or six years. So I don't know. I mean, I suppose that, I mean, I suppose on the surface, I I guess that is what this plan is, right? I mean, if it is a Dylan Cease trade, the plan for the White Sox is likely a team in 2024 that is a bridge team with veterans who have all of those positive habits we bring up, play good defense, are good leaders, can lead the younger group of of players in the right direction. You have a couple pieces, Andrew Benintendi, Luis Robert, Andrew Vaughn, that have years of control still on their contracts. Jared Schuster, right, if he ends up working out. And then it's about the Nick Nestrinis and the uh, Colson Montgomery's and the Brian Ramos's and whoever else you're getting in this trade to then come up, be impactful. And then you have to go big in 2025. I, I just think it takes a lot of juice out of, out of the 2024 team. That could be good for them though. That could be what they need to do. It just, I, I don't know. I, I'm having my hard time clearly wrapping my ra- mind around what exactly the vision is signing a bunch of guys to one-year deals and trying to find bounce-back candidates in 2024 and then trading away Dylan Cease. Yeah, I get that. And it's hard because, like, you know, you almost wish Chris Getz would just tell us his plan. and But, like, that's just not something that executives do. He's well, going like, to dance it around kills, it. kills a lot of your uh, leverage and negotiations. Yeah, well, through. yeah, it's not smart to do that. But, I mean... Like if he if he comes out and says, yeah, we're not planning to be good next year, then what free agent's going to want to come here on a one year deal knowing well, we're not going to win <laughs> like he our GM already said it. So I get why he doesn't. But especially in a situation like you're in right now, it would almost be nice if he would just tell you his plan like, oh, yeah, we're going to move Dylan Cease and then we're going to target this guy next offseason. And I'm pretty sure that's a violation of the CBA, but oh, well, Um I, I mean, it's, hey man, it's I'm a on really tough position that they're in, man. It I'm is. on board with what you said. Like, I, I think I could have a easier time buying into 
a Dylan Cease trade and a team in 2024 that might not be like contention ready. As long as there are pieces that are being brought in that I think are good, like sustainable pieces for the future, right? Like if everybody's on a one-year deal, I'm going to be a big yawn because I'm going to be like, this team's not going to win. And none of these guys are going to be here. And then and next year, you're going to have the exact same right. problems that you have this year. So exact same number of holes and stuff. So if there's guys on three, four year deals, which, by the way, I don't think is unrealistic. I mean, we didn't even mention this with the Aaron Bummer trade, but it's another reason I, I freaking loved it so much is just you saved money against the cap in that trade based off of what Aaron Bummer was is making and what some of the guys you got in are projected to make in arbitration and stuff. You are. I mean, it's pretty close, but it's a pretty even financial swap. And so to bring in yeah, by, guys, by my math, it was about five and a half for bummer. Uh, and then Soroka and Lopez combined are going to be about seven. So either way, it's O-Track like, had it a little, a little more even than that. But I mean, either way, I mean, you're using just a couple million dollars or an even financial swap to add three likely major league pieces to your roster this year that could help you. When you look at a White Sox team that needs to fill as many holes as they do, that's a big win, especially when this team is cutting payroll. But no, it's not unrealistic to expect the Sox to go out and sign a three-year, $30 million deal, uh, you know, a four-year, $50 million deal, right? Go pay somebody $12.5 million a year over four years. If you think they're the right fit for your vision for this team and that like over the next few seasons, go do it because, I mean... Y- your payroll's pretty low right now and you still have wiggle room to spend money and still cut payroll, by the way. And you've got guys like Yuan Moncada coming off the books in the off season with his 20 something million dollars, like more money is becoming available for the white Sox, And so I don't think it's, it's unrealistic for fans to say, Hey, go get some of those pieces now so that you're not next offseason needing to do second base right field two starting pitchers catcher like maybe grab your right fielder maybe grab two starting pitchers now on three-year contracts so that it's a simpler process next offseason once you understand what you have yeah and and that's exactly what i said in my tweet earlier is i mentioned right field and i mentioned the rotation and i said I understand why they went with the one-year deal at shortstop. That makes a lot of sense with Colson Montgomery winning. Yeah, and no, that one is a no-brainer. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, but right field and the starting rotation, like I would consider going out and getting a guy like, this is just a name I'm throwing out there, maybe a Teoscar Hernandez. You could get him for a, a four- or five-year deal, and that guy can rake. I know he's kind of coming off a down year in Seattle, but he's raked before, so... I mean, pieces like that, I don't think should be off the table for the White Sox. And we'll see where Jerry's budget is. But like, that's exactly what I would go and do is look at pieces like that and say, you know, maybe we're not there this year, but we consider ourselves one year away. So can we have this guy still with us? And for the first two or three years of our window here, then let's go get him. So, yeah. And uh, Chris Getz did. He was asked about that uh, at the same press conference last week in which he was very honest and open about a lot of things. Uh, he was asked about, first of all, uh, whether he felt most of the needs were going to be addressed via free agency or via trade. And um, basically he said, we're looking at both avenues. I think there'll be a good mix of both. 
um, which we have seen so far. They've made one trade and made one free agent signing. Uh, He also was asked specifically about free agency, whether the White Sox were looking at short-term or long-term contracts. And he also said, we're kind of looking at both. Uh, And if there's a deal that we think is going to be good for us this year and in the future, then we're going to pull the trigger on it. So I don't think he's necessarily ruled that out. Um, I'd like to see them go and do something like that, especially if they say that they're going to contend in 2025. I'd like to see some action behind that. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of guys right now that I'm, I'm looking at that, you know, are, you know, around that 28 to 31 age range, uh, specifically as a starting pitcher. And so you have to think like, Hey, why not three years, $30 million, go grab somebody. Um, Start building like, all right, we know what's under team control. That's what I want to see. Noah, we've been lucky enough to actually have some action to talk about here early on in the offseason. It's going to be a busy one. We knew that coming in. Chris gets not really wasting any time to at least start shuffling the deck. Nothing, uh, I guess, huge so far for the Sox, uh, but he's slowly chipping away at some of these problems and you know, hopefully this time next week, we can have another podcast to talk about another move or two that gets his making uh, and exactly where the heck uh, we see the socks going. That's yeah, all I read. A, oh, go I, ahead. I read yeah. an article from, I want to say it was John Morosi who talked to an executive this week. Uh, and this executive was surprised that there haven't been more moves uh, because he said he was at the GM meetings. He heard a ton of trade dialogue and free agent dialogue that was taking place. And he said, I think this is just the calm before the storm. What he said was Thanksgiving is usually quiet. People go home, spend time with their families. But he said, what I, my impression is that a lot of people want to sign early this year. So he said, I think the week between Thanksgiving and the winter meetings is going to be crazy. So we'll see. Uh, I'm expecting a quiet remainder of this week, but Next week and the week after, it could start to get nuts. All right. Well, uh, you guys out there, enjoy your holiday. Uh, enjoy some time with the family for Thanksgiving. And, you know, be thankful for Paul DeYoung. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. Be thankful we're not Oakland. Be thankful that we're not. Uh, I don't know. What else should White Sox fans be thankful for? Luis Robert? Uh, yeah, I'm thankful for Luis Robert. Sure. One, one at bat out of nine that I know is going to be not something that makes me well, sometimes, cry. sometimes Luis <laughs> Robert, you know, not exactly the most pretty at bat, uh, but you know, we'll get through it. That's why we're talking about it. Powering through it each and every week. So uh, that's it for this week's edition. We'll be back next week again uh, to discuss anything that happens in White Sox world. Hang with us till then and till next time. Keep putting crooked numbers up on that board. We'll see you.